0: Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, U.S. Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. With me today, as always, is my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford.
1: Hello, forgive my sniffles.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you haven't been feeling very good this week, but hopefully, I mean, the blood god is sympathetic, and (laughs) uh, there's nothing like a good RPG to make you feel better when you're not feeling uh, terribly well.
1: That is true. I can relate.
0: I, I... I think I've related this on the podcast before, but one of my fondest gaming memories is when I was playing Twilight Princess back in like two thousand, early two thousand seven, or whatever. I had like a terrible case of the sniffles, and then I Aww. got to the Snowpoint, the peak ruins, <laughs> the, with the Yeti, and the soup. Yeah, soup. Oh my god! It felt like <laughs> it was like I was drinking hot soup while playing this game. It was amazing.
1: That was a good dungeon.
0: It was a good dungeon. It's. I would say it's actually one of the best dungeons in I Zelda. Agree.
1: I agree. It's just very, very atmospheric, very original. I really enjoyed it.
0: I did. You, the best thing about it is that you don't even know that it's a dungeon until yeah, it's done.
1: until it's done. It's like, is this a dungeon or isn't it? Uh, I don't care. It's
0: good. You realize it's a dungeon when you beat the mid boss and you get the um, you get the 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 mace or was it yes. the hammer?
1: No, it's like a, a ball and chain that yeah, uh, destroys so good. everything.
0: Yeah, so. In any case, uh, after that little digression into Zelda, um, so as usual, we're going to be talking, we're going to be doing a Persona 4 Golden Report. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to be covering a little bit of RPG news, um, including Pillars of Eternity Dead Fire, which is getting kickstarted. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about Pokemon Bank, because I'm back, baby. <laughs> I'm back into Pokemon. She is. It's happening again. Yes, it is. We'll talk about it, a bit about Nino Kuni 2, which I got to see. Uh, and we will talk about Dragon Quest VIII, and uh, kind of the coup de grace of this episode is an interview with Torment Tides of Numenera uh, designer, and as well with Brian Fargo, um, because I went to a preview event a couple weeks ago, got to record a interview with them. We're going to talk a little bit about that. So let's do this, Nadia. Nice. All right. Persona 4 Golden Report. Let's do it.
1: Well, I uh, went on a camping trip, and uh, you were right, that was a curry and a half.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It was a true disaster, and one of the most memorable parts of the entire game.
1: Well, just the way they describe the textures alone, it's like, ew.
0: Yeah, right? I mean, they really did a phenomenal job of uh, just capturing the humor of that entire thing.
1: Yeah, and I'm just glad that I had my very first Japanese curry before seeing that scene, <laughs> so I never have to think about it. The and first like,
0: time. No, totally, and like you're probably thinking about like what like real curry tastes like versus whatever the heck they made.
1: Yes, yes, but it did encourage me to look up curries around Toronto, and as it turns out, yeah, well, there are several around here, so I should probably get to that. But uh, I also uh, kicked off the part of the game with uh, hmm. so uh, I'll be uh, delving into that dungeon pretty soon because uh, she just went missing. So-,
0: so, one thing really quickly. Sure, I like that Yukiko is a bad cook.
1: Yeah, <laughs> me too. Because everyone was saying, "Oh, she'll be a good cook because she she runs the inn," but she sucks.
0: I think it kind of humanizes her. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was already human; like we were already yeah. seeing the pressures that she's feeling and how she doesn't necessarily want to run the inn but she's like being put under so much pressure to continue the family line to be a good little girl and to be able to do all of the things that a lady is able to do right yes
1: yes exactly and so uh,
0: so the fact that she's like not instinctively perfect at it mm -hmm. um makes me feel good because i'm also not that great a cook (laughs)
1: I am an okay cook. Uh, I cook a lot of Hungarian food because that's what I grew up with. Oh, but, really? uh, yeah. Um, it's funny, my mother didn't know how to cook when she married my father and my grandmother, who was Hungarian, taught her. So that's pretty much what I grew up on. Hmm. Um, but I, I am a good cook, but I just hate cooking. I can't be bothered.
0: Food of the Blood God. What what was it last week that we were saying? Like the the Food of the Blood God cast podcast. Oh, the,
1: the Spoon of the Blood God.
0: Spoon of the Blood God is in full effect. Yep, yep. But okay. Anyway, back to what I was saying about Yukiko. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, she's it, she's an interesting, well-rounded character and very sympathetic in that regard.
1: Yeah, and it's actually uh, funny how I was thinking about how much I, I do sympathize with her because to have to or to even want to turn your back on something like a traditional Japanese inn that's been around for hundreds of years and to say, I'm not going to run this stupid place, I don't want to. Like, that's got to take a a, a shitload of courage.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So, uh, one reason that I, another thing that I wanted to point out from that scene is the way that they, like, wrote it, like, they really captured kind of the humor of the scene from the Japanese version. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it just goes to show, like, how freaking good the localization of Persona 4 really is?
1: Yes, I think uh, a lot is riding on that localization, and they did really well with it.
0: Because without the right localization, it would have been just kind of dumb, right? Yeah. But the hilarity just like keeps building and building and building. It's sort of like trying to describe all of the horror <laughs> of this particular curry, and so much is riding on the writing, right? Yes. I mean, you have the characters reacting, but whatever. Without the context, it's not as funny.
1: yeah. No, they did really well with that, especially uh, one uh, common theme I've noticed with uh, Yukiko's cooking is there's always something there that you can't swallow, and they don't describe it exactly, and they, they shouldn't, but it's just horrifying to think of that, at least to me.
0: <laughs> I don't understand how Yukiko managed to F up the recipe that badly.
1: Yeah, well, they were talking about it like, at the the grocery store, like, oh, let's put like this in there, and let's put that in there, and... You know, to be honest, he could look up a recipe, but uh, I don't think they bothered with that.
0: I will say that back in, like, 2009, we tried to make a curry ourselves, and it was (laughs) an Indian curry. Right. And the result, it was like a paneer butter masala. And Mm -hmm. the result was so bad (laughs) and so demoralizing (laughs) that we didn't clean the dishes for days and it actually put (laughs) us off cooking for, like, days after that too
1: wow what an epic curry
0: because uh it was thin and watery and the taste wasn't right and the actual like like the 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 cheese like was really like like the texture was all wrong like it was kind of (laughs) kind of flaky Uh uh-huh and it was on top of this bland rice (laughs) and we got like a couple bites into it and we just stared at one another and like, <laughs> what have we done we... what is this crap oh, so in God. that regard perhaps i can understand how curry can go that badly wrong
1: okay yeah I, I can i can understand that but um yeah that was a that was a curry that went very badly in the land of persona and then they all kind of went swimming in a way
0: yes More like the, the whole in. camping trip thing is just hilarious uh I, Talking about the translation aspect, I actually got an email uh, from a, one of our listeners who is, describes himself as a freelance translator. Oh, cool. Um, who's currently translating iOS and Android Otome games into English for a company in mm-hmm. Japan. His name is nice. Michael Ledvinka. And this is following on from my rant last week where I was talking about how literal translations are not good. Um mm-hmm and are often very boring mm-hmm. and he agrees with me he says not only are literal translations bad they're also wrong he mentioned that they're boring that's the clue though Otome games aren't my cup of tea rarely it's a Japanese text I receive from the company employing me boring it's usually fun, cute and fairly endearing but when I give it a literal translation suddenly some, everything sounds so bland so mm-hmm. dull that's absolutely not how it sounds in Japanese which means that if I translate it literally I'm presenting an incorrect version of the original text The most accurate translation possible if that's what you're shooting for will have the same meaning and produce the same feeling as the japanese version right occasionally it's not possible to do that perfectly and you'll have to change the meaning to get the feeling right or vice versa regardless producing an accurate translation almost always involves adding words taking away words and changing the way things are phrased compared to a direct translation a direct translation gives you a version of the Japanese text that is often warped beyond recognition. Mm-hmm. To get an accurate translation, you have to unwarp it. So in any case, uh, yeah, no, I totally agree with him. And yeah, that's
1: actually uh, very interesting because I was thinking about what we were talking about last week and
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's like uh, I used to read a lot of uh, one of my j- earliest writing jobs was I was a manga reviewer and I was also sent a lot of um, uh like Japanese books that were translated directly from English and they were always very very dry and very boring but I was thinking about it and it's like if you watch Japanese movies they're always acted so incredibly well mm-hmm. and I think it's just the way Japan it, uh, so much rides on the tone and inflection of your voice uh, versus the words you use. I could be wrong because I'm not really like fluent in, J- in Japanese at all but yeah that that's just how it comes
0: across to me. The interesting thing about Japanese cinema and I think that it falls into games too um, <clears throat> one of my, uh, I would call him a, a friend of the site, um, Kyle McLean. Oh yeah. He's cool. Um, f- uh, fluent in Japanese, um, very into Japanese culture. Um, we always make sure to get together with him when we're in Tokyo or whatever. And he said, he pointed out how different the theater traditions are, uh, mm-hmm. from Japan versus America. Um, like the American or the the Western tradition is from Shakespeare, right? Um, which relies on like really flowery writing and everything. Um, right. Where the Japanese, like the Japanese tradition, is based more on you. If you're forgive me, a no plays is that what they're called? Um, With the masks. I'm probably mangling it, but yeah. Um, you know, like traditional Japanese theater is just very yes. different, and that carries into the writing, which is why you have characters kind of being really overwrought or right. explaining their feelings or being really over the top. And to the West, it's like, well, what's going on? Like, yeah. uh, why is this so cheesy? Like, we yeah. consider it cheesy, but, like, it's just coming from a different tra- uh, tradition. Um, so it's, uh, I found that kind of observation really interesting. Yeah,
1: that's actually a very good point. That's very interesting. I never thought of that. Mm-hmm. But it makes a lot of sense. Uh,
0: which makes... The job of localization even tougher
1: i know it's crazy to begin with
0: <laughs> and then often there are like in jokes mm-hmm. uh, like cultural in jokes references to memes that americans wouldn't get yes um like traditional like stuff um i was watching what was it polar, Boar, polar bear cafe uh-huh. and they had to have like notes like at the top of the screen, just, like, noting everything that what they were talking about in terms yeah. of, like, all of the jokes that they were making. <laughs> because it's just, like, it's not perfect. No, it but can't be. Suffice it to say, they nailed it with Persona 4. Um, they, they really nailed did. Nailed it with that camping scene.
1: Because, so. I mean, let's face it, like I was saying, if, if I didn't care about the characters, if I didn't find them funny or entertaining, uh, I wouldn't be playing the game. Because that is a game that is, like, maybe 50% combat and 50% social links i mean they are straight up called social links
0: yes they are think like, yeah. so much of it is riding on well basically the connections that you're making with the characters and caring about their stories and wanting yeah, exactly. to know more yeah so now uh so Risa is coming to the picture so like what's what's going on nadia uh
1: well Rise is a, a a pop idol who's come back home quote-unquote to uh the tofu shop in uh on main street and it's like as tojima says uh with this town, it was so quiet, and all of a sudden, there's so much buzz around it.
0: <laughs> yeah, right?
1: Yeah. So uh, she's working in the tofu shop, and she seems kind of downcast. Um, and she's just gone missing after, on the Midnight Channel, she presented herself as like uh, someone who's going to quote-unquote bear it all. So mm-hmm. that was a thing. Uh, yeah, so we'll have to see where this is going.
0: So you haven't done the dungeons or anything yet?
1: No, uh, that's coming up.
0: Hmm. well okay i look forward to your thoughts there's um what was it there there's a documentary that was just shown at the sundance music uh film festival Uh uh-huh um actually that's a documentary about uh japanese idol culture and uh japanese um kind of the what was it the the maid culture like you know like where people will go to cafes and like be waited on hand and um, mm-hmm. hand and foot by girls, and like the girls are trying to pick up fans. Yes, and uh, mostly among like middle aged like men who are just like they they want a particular kind of lady, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like they like there's like a certain amount of time that you can shake their hand and everything. Uh huh. Um, and. I'm not saying that Persona is, like, going to do, like, a really amazing breakdown of, like, that culture or anything, but it is touching on it.
1: Right, right.
0: So there are similar themes going on here. Um, uh,
1: I did have a, a quick question, though. Uh, hmm. See, I didn't really think about it, but I guess it, it could be the case. Uh, w- when you have, like, the closed-down sort of decrepit Main Street versus Juness, is that, is, like, the whole big box versus small business thing, I guess that's also a thing in Japan, isn't it?
0: Um i suppose uh so when i was living in japan like they kind of like were right next to one another but then again i lived in tokyo right so you it's had like different. your little traditional shops um like in train stations in like suburbs and everything but then you also had your like super bland uh department stores and everything do they so, have
1: walmart there under another name or anything like that
0: interestingly walmart came in and failed.
1: So like Target in Canada basically
0: completely failed. And so their solution <clears throat> was to buy an existing chain called Seiyu. Uh-huh. And kind of make that their like inroads into Japan. Um I don't remember the exact reason, but I remember hearing that it was something along the lines of uh that the fa- like having super low prices did not go over well. Really? Yeah. That's I interesting. Mean, that's that's odd in the context of like the fact that 100 yen shops are everywhere. Yeah. But it just, there's something about Walmart's like fundamental like presentation that simply did not work in, Jap- in Japan. So right. they like basically left and brought in uh, and bought an existing Japanese chain. Now, in small towns, like I never lived in a small town, so it could be different. Right. But I would not be shocked at all if like there's a sense of kind of losing the culture in light of um, excessive commercialism.
1: Right, because that's definitely a theme in Persona 4. Uh, a lot of people don't like Juness, but of course they shop there. It's a classic Walmart thing. You think, you know, Canada, we're always bitching about Walmart, and we're always shopping there.
0: Yeah, I, I think that maybe in America, like, people are going, oh, these small these small mom-and-pop shops are being uh, destroyed and by, like, these big soulless corporations and everything. Mm-hmm. In Japan, it's more a sense of we are losing who we are right. We are losing our identity exact culture. we are losing all of our traditions and becoming homogenized with the west mm-hmm. And so maybe you're seeing that being reflected a little bit in, right uh the 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 basically the presence that jeunesse has throughout the story
1: right that makes sense
0: all right that's been another persona for golden report um if you have thoughts questions comments uh drop us a line um you can reach me at cat.bailey at usgamer.net of course you can reach me on twitter at the underscore catbot um or nadia at nadia oxford um yeah just uh, let us know what your thoughts are we love to hear from you and we may read your uh letter on the show yes. all right let's keep going nadia let's but- Okay, news time. Uh, First bit of news, really quickly: a Pillars of Eternity sequel is getting crowdfunding on the Fig, on the Fig, which is very exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm I'm guessing you didn't play Pillars of Eternity when it first came out. No, I didn't. Uh, Are you familiar with it?
1: Yes, uh, a little bit. Um, Is it? Is that the one that's uh, that Obsidian did? Um, Yes. Okay, yeah, so I, I am, like, a little bit familiar with it, definitely.
0: Yes. Um, so I played it. It's an isometric RPG. Right. Um, kind of along the lines of Baldur's Gate. You have six members in your party. Um, it's basically in real time, but you can pause it and, um, like, give lots of directions and everything. Mm-hmm. Tyranny was a, I, w- I wouldn't call it a stripped-down version, but it was a uh, much more simplified and accessible version of... Right. Uh, Pillars of Eternity. Uh, apparently, it will be picking up directly after the end of the original game.
1: Oh, that's compelling.
0: Yep. Uh, and uh, the statue of kade Nua, which was supposed to be a side quest in the original game, will be the focus of Deadfire. Oh. And uh, I-, I love how portentous all of this is. Eothas has returned. The god of light <laughs> and rebirth was thought dead. He-, he now inhabits the stone titan that sat buried under your keep, Cade Nua, for decades. Ripping his way out of the ground, he destroyed your stronghold and left you at the brink of death. To save your soul, you must track down the wayward god and demand answers. Answers which could throw mortals and the gods themselves into chaos.
1: Gasp. I just love the old-fashioned, like, uh, ask god for answers thing. It's like, yeah, good luck with that.
0: I'm sad that my stronghold's been destroyed. I put a lot of work into that (laughs) thing. (laughs) Uh,
1: So am I. I I mourn for your stronghold, cat.
0: I love strongholds. My strongholds well, are my y- favorite you spent thing. Especially how many hours ones. In
1: Fallout 4 building settlements?
0: So many settlements. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, my lighthouse, like Castle Lighthouse. And I had like three settlements. It was great. Um, I will, of course, play this. Um, I'm really interested to see um, how they improve the graphics, how they improve the battle system how they, hopefully we get new strongholds and that it's a little better than last time. A lot of people kind of acknowledge the strongholds as kind of a weakness of the previous game.
1: Well, they're all destroyed now.
0: Um, In part because the strongholds were a weakness because they were so empty. Right. Uh, So you did not have a really good sense of like how they were impacting things. Like you didn't get a lot of good feedback from them. hmm So... You were building stuff, but it didn't seem like anything like that. It was really helping you in any substantial way. So it was kind of a a little bit of a letdown, right, in, in the grand scheme of things. But uh, apparently, um, they're going to be doing new lighting, new shadows engines. There's going to be dynamic weather, um, intense and immersive dynamic weather. Rains, fierce winds, and sandstorms are among the Ooh. harsher conditions that are commonplace in dead fighter you'll even hear the rain pounding on the roof when you go inside that's uh, cool interestingly enough apparently it's picking up exact basically directly from where the last game off and, and in fact if you have a saved game you can carry that over to the sequel oh nice yeah that's great because i put like 60 hours into this game Just, <laughs> it's a big game
1: yeah apparently uh is it like I, i'm not sure how fu- how fig works but is it funded yet or
0: i am actually not entirely sure Mm-hmm. Um that is worth looking at. Um yes it is. It's been funded.
1: Oh, nice. Nicely done.
0: Yeah, uh it was funded like really fast. Like there's 28 days left and it uh it just passed the goal. It's uh they were going for 1.1 million, they're uh-huh. up to 1.1 uh
1: 1,110,421. Wow, good for them. Uh, yeah, good I think them, uh too. Banner Saga 3 is also being kickstarted. Uh i don't think it's quite there yet but it's just started and it's, it's pretty close so
0: did you like planner saga ah oh, shit
1: you know i've always meant to play it and it looks great but i never got it around to it mm. i know you didn't all like right. it very much did you
0: uh bored me a little bit yeah all right um let's keep moving because I'm actually running a little bit out of time i'm kind of running late on something so
1: <laughs> us running out of time
0: Oh my gosh, we're going to do that thing where we talk for literally an hour, and then I'm like, oh crap. But no, I actually have an appointment in 20 minutes, so I need to oh, wrap okay. this up. All right, so another piece of news this week, Pokemon Bank finally came out.
1: Yes, it did. I bet you're happy.
0: I am so happy, Nadia. Uh, I wrote an article this week, I was like, Pokemon Bank's out, the fun can finally begin.
1: Yeah, I-, I saw your Flareon, congratulations on your very decorated Flareon.
0: Oh my god, I love that Flareon. Um <laughs> I realized I was like, so after I finished Sun and Moon, I actually went back to Omega Ruby Ruby and Alpha Sapphire Uh uh, because I wanted to get all of the possible ribbons um, for Flareon, Mm -hmm. which meant I had to complete all of the contests. And if you complete all of the contests at the master rank, you'll get like a contest master (laughs) ribbon. Mm -hmm. So I went and did that. And that involved like growing a lot of berries, like... um, (laughs) like, putting the right moves on my Flareon. And I was able to dominate the competition and get all, like, all of the ribbons. So I was very happy with that and making sure that I had um, some other ribbons that I would not be able to get in Sun and Moon. And then once I did that, I transferred everybody over. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, no, um, I'm so relieved to be in Sun and Moon because it's so much better than Omega Ruby. (laughs) (laughs) You get
1: to live behind the stink place and go to the good place.
0: Yeah, I mean... I mean it wasn't like Omega Ruby was bad or anything, but like the graphics of Sun and Moon are way better, yeah. the interface is one more attractive. I love that I can carry a full party around with me and like it's really funny. Like I keep going into my party to like use Fly or whatever and go, uh-huh. "Oh yeah, no, don't I don't to. have an H- I don't need an HM slave anymore. Yay.
1: They're all free. All Pokémon are free finally."
0: So literally the first thing I did was I went and took on the Elite Four so that mm-hmm. I could get the uh, Alola ribbon for my Flareon. and so that was all done um i am currently in the middle of the battle tree oh nice yeah um because here's the funny thing about the the battle tree um it is kind of a test for high level players it's like going oh do you have the monsters and the know-how to be able to live through a succession of increasingly cheap battles (laughs) um well, here's the here's the kicker: you can't bring items with you from game to game, which is a pain in the ass. Right. And you, uh, and in order to get the items that you need, you have to play through the battle tree, get battle points, and invest them in the items that you need. Right. Stuff like life orb, which improves your attack by one point five uh, percent, or it's like one point two five percent, but uh, at the expense of some of your life. Mm-hmm. Or Choice Band, which improves your attack by 1.5%. Or Choice Specs. Or um, Choice Scarf. Or uh, all of the Mega Evolution Stones. Um, unfortunately, like, um, my Mega Mawile and my Mega Charizard were two of my most powerful monsters from the last game. Right. And they're both useless. because Because yeah. um, Mawile, the Mega evolution from a while never even showed up in this game like it's not oh in that's it right for some reason. yeah and maybe they'll distri- distribute it i hope so um and the mega evolution for charizard is also like you have to win 20 battles in a row wow and then beat red in order to get the the mega charizard x which is a uh, kind of annoying because this <laughs> battle tree is harder than usual
1: that's where you can kind of use the the whole mega evolution thing.
0: Usually with these battle towers, like, it starts out, like, kind of, you know, really easy, right? Yeah. And you can kind of blow through it and get to the, like, you're, like, fighting basic evolutions. You're, like, one-hit ko- KOing. This time, like, it's, like, not beating around the bush. Like, <laughs> it's basically the super singles version where you're fighting fully evolved Pokemon. Um, And there's, like, so many, like, monsters to account for that... It's really, really, really tough to account for them with just three monsters in your party.
1: Yeah. Um, I actually noticed uh, with uh, Sun and Moon, the, the Elite Four gave me a really hard time for the first time in a long time.
0: Yeah, they're a little tougher than, than usual. Um, yeah,
1: so they're, they're pretty serious about challenging you like towards that end of the game.
0: Yeah. Um, so the party I have right now that's actually working for me okay... Maybe it was Gyarados, Shizor, and Volcarona. I think that was it. Yeah, that might be it. Because right. Gyarados is able to uh, power up and is very powerful and is also kind of tanky. Yes. Uh, Shizor is able to handle the dragons and stuff uh-huh. and is also pretty tanky and pretty powerful. And Volcarona can also like use this move called Quiver Dance. Yes. That powers up its at special attack, special defense, and speed. Which makes it like kind of a nightmare to take down. <laughs> uh I don't think it's especially powerful and I, I don't think it's especially popular in the metagame right now, but it's good.
1: You no, know, someone someone on Twitter was saying that they uh, they've gone up against your Infernape and it's uh is no joke.
0: <laughs> oh Infernape. Uh <laughs> long outdated. Um Aww. Yeah, sadly. Uh the the moveset is from like three generations ago. <laughs> <laughs> and the 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 spread, and this was before the the iron fist hidden ability came around, and it's just it's totally outdated. But he's my buddy. I've yeah, been having, I've had him for ages. He even had a little shiny for me. Aw. He had a shiny baby for me. So. Aww. He yeah, and Renape's my buddy. I don't use him in competitive battle anymore, but um, I use him, you know, just when I'm traveling around. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. fun to have around. So now, like, I'm just inclined to do everything, right? I'm going to go catch all of the Ultra Beasts. and we am going to go catch all of the um the Tapus, which Tapus are so OP in this game right now. So. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, I was playing, um I was actually on Pokemon Showdown, which is the browser version of the battle system. Oh, cool. Um, and everybody and their mother has a Tapu on their team. <laughs> tapu, Tapu, Tapu. Tapu for days. <laughs>
1: tapus forever.
0: Oh, uh, my gosh. So, yeah, no, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, Nadia, you don't have anything to uh, import from Pokemon Bank, do you?
1: No, pretty much. Uh, I One of these days I'll bring over my, my old Pokemon from Pokemon Red somehow, but uh, nah, I, I I don't really use the Poke Bank very much. Uh, I just kind of like fall in love with a whole new set of friends.
0: Oh. Yeah. See, no, I kick them to the curb. Screw them. <laughs> <laughs> Even Lytton? Oh, especially Litten. No, I don't like Incineroar.
1: I love Incineroar.
0: Nah, he looks dumb. I much, <laughs> I much prefer Decidueye.
1: Well, he's pretty cool, I have to admit.
0: He's 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 you know he's got that kind of emo like uh, the hair over the eye that they're always kind of blowing out of the way.
1: Yeah, someone was mentioning that uh, he's actually based on a uh, a type of Hawaiian owl that's extinct, hence the ghost type. But I don't know oh. if that's true or not.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. I didn't know yeah. that. I always make it a point to uh, train at least one monster that I really like from each generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, last generation, I trained up um, a Greninja. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should have trained up an Aegislash. And actually, I hope it's not too late because I it's transferred like basically everything, so I might have a hard time um, breeding it in X and Y. But mm-hmm. yeah, in any case, um, this one I might... Uh, I might breed a, a Mimi
1: I love Mimi so much.
0: It's really good. It's good, like, isn't it? Is, it? <laughs> it's a really powerful monster that, because uh,
1: that one false hit really can uh, even things out.
0: So helpful, um, yeah. especially because while they're trying to hit you, like you can do a, a sword stance, and then mm-hmm. you can use like Shadow Sneak, um, or you can use a Z Crystal attack to do like insane damage. Yeah. and I've been able to finish off many an many an enemy. Um, on Pokemon Showdown using Q, so. <clears throat> all right. Uh, last thing before we go on to the Torment Tides of Numenera. <coughs> Nadia, mm-hmm. really quick thoughts on Dragon Quest Eight.
1: Oh, I love it. Uh, it's a, uh, well, basically, it's not nearly as pretty as the PlayStation 2 version, but I think we all expected that. Yeah, of course. Um, I've noticed a lot of pop-up that probably mm. wasn't there in the original uh, Dragon Quest. Although, I've heard complaints about slowdown, and I haven't seen anything, but I am playing on a new Nintendo 3DS. Maybe that has to do with it. And maybe the complaints were for the Japanese version of the game.
0: I think it was the problem with Pokemon as well. Like, there was a lot more <laughs> slowdown on the old 3DS. Really? I guess
1: That's I what could... I heard. Yeah, I could see that being the case. Because, I mean, both, like, Dragon Quest Eight and Pokemon Sun and Moon are... They really pushed the 3ds to the limit. Let's face it.
0: I'm surprised Dragon Quest Eight isn't a new 3ds exclusive. Like so they really I. just dropped that whole idea, right? They like, really they did. did it once with Xenoblade, and like yeah, screw it.
1: Yeah, good enough.
0: It's gonna, it's going to split the, they're splitting the party, as it were. I'm just <laughs> really glad that base. like
1: uh, Dragon Quest Eight can play as Red because I've always liked Red. Mm hmm. Uh, she's gonna replace Jessica, so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh well so i was i was i've been kind of wondering what which version i should play which mm-hmm. version should i play nadia
1: oh uh, uh probably the 3ds version uh once the really last time the i PS played dragon, one? dragon quest 8 uh years ago okay so
0: like 10 years ago
1: it's definitely a great game to have on the go like a lot of dragon quest games
0: mm. So I'm going to I'm going to Europe uh next month. Nice. And I'm deciding which RPG I want to bring with me.
1: That's uh... and
0: I was kind of because I'm done with SD Gundam, it's it's finished. Uh-huh. It's over. Um but so I'm like going, okay, now what? And I was kind of eyeballing one of three. Mm-hmm. Dragon Quest 8, okay. Persona 3 Portable.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Or Chrono Trigger.
1: Ooh. Chrono Trigger, I guess the the DS version.
0: Yeah, because I have yeah. the DS version. I never finished it. I have started many a time. I've never gotten around to wrapping it up. I also have Earthbound on my 3DS, so I'm kind of inclined to bring my 3DS with me and play one of those games. But Played I'm them all. like trying to decide, <clears throat> and plus it will allow me to kind of do some more work on Pokemon. Yeah, yeah. Like knock out a bunch of stuff, like. I was playing when I was coming home from LA yesterday. I was like playing basically Pokemon the entire way, uh trying failing miserably in the battle tree.
1: <laughs> How long is a flight from LA anyway to San Fran? Just an hour. Yeah, so that's not too bad. So but basically. you know,
0: LAX is a freaking nightmare so yeah, no I kidding. In, I was sitting in the terminal for like 2 hours like just kind of messing around with the battle tree and desperately wishing I were in bed. <laughs>
1: My life. Um I would honestly go with with Dragon Quest 8. Um have you of course you've played and finished Chrono Trigger on like SNES, right?
0: No. I've never what? finished it. Yep. My darkest secret. <gasps>
1: oh yeah, my god. I have god. a I have an
0: excuse. I have well, an okay.
1: Excuse. Okay, let's hear this. Uh
0: I got a Super Nintendo in two thousand. By that okay. time, Chrono Trigger was already quite rare.
1: Oh yeah, you're not gonna find it anymore by that point unless you want to pay like fifty million dollars. Okay, I, I, I accept this excuse. I
0: didn't want to play it on emulator. Okay. And um so it took many years and then finally it came out on ds and i got it on the ds and for whatever reason it just has it just did not stick mm-hmm. and i've tried time and again to try and like sit down and like just play it but right funny thing about being in the games press is that you have all of the games you do all of the games in the world and so i'm like sitting here like trying to uh finish up chrono trigger but i've also got i don't know um everything else on my plate (laughs) and this is like the one month where i have like a little bit of a window right to play games and i wasted it on st Gundam. (laughs) god damn it Uh, Uh, i feel guilty well i think
1: everyone in the games press is guilty of playing something that they shouldn't be playing in favor of like you know instead of playing what they should be playing
0: yeah so that happened um, and then, of course, next month is looming and you got Horizon and uh, the Switch and Zelda. And, of course, uh, Mass Effect Andromeda is just around the corner. And the next thing I know, it's going to be back to the grind. So I'm kind of like, what is the one game I can like knock out and feel good about myself? And I think it might be Chrono Trigger. Yeah, I'm going to have to
1: be honest with you. Dragon Quest Eight is not as long and it's huge as huge as Dragon Quest Seven, but it is very substantial. Whereas Chrono Trigger is a very, not exactly short, but it's a very compact Sort of game. Um, Persona
0: Three Portable is also a huge game.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I would, I would have to say, give Chrono Trigger DS a try again. Where do you keep on getting stuck?
0: Um, the part where you go to the future for the first time.
1: Oh, the Pink Floyd future, as my brother used to call it.
0: Yeah, and you get the robot. Yeah, Robo. That's usually when I check out. Oh, huh, any reason why? That's exactly where I am right now.
1: Just because it's despairing and and horrible and blank and bleak.
0: I don't know like I just get through the opening parts and I see like the the kind of the interesting uh, premise mm-hmm. I get to the future I get the robot and then I like put it away for a while and then the next thing and then I get to the point where it's like too far into the game to remember exactly what I was doing right but not far enough right and so I go oh I'll just start over yeah <laughs> and this yeah. process begins anew <laughs> <laughs> it is the curse uh, I've
1: right. actually been there several times with Breath of Fire Four, so I understand.
0: All right, I'm narrowing it down then. So it's either Persona Three Portable or Chrono Trigger, one of the two. Because P Three Portable would be really good to finish up before P Five comes out.
1: Yeah, that's true. But uh, maybe our viewers have uh, or listeners have a few uh, suggestions. I would say yes. Chrono Trigger.
0: Yeah, like let me know. What What do you think? Should I play P Three Portable or should I play uh, Chrono Trigger? Uh, it will. It will, in fact, what I talk about on the show. So. Uh, send, send me your thoughts. Uh, drop me a line on the DM or send me an email at net, or, you know, do the Twitter thing.
1: We should do a, uh, a Chrono Trigger report the way that I do the Persona report.
0: Well, hopefully I'll be done with it by the time we get back from you. The... <laughs> it'll be a very long... So it'll be a one-part Chrono Trigger report. One-part report. <laughs> All right, Nadia. Yes. Um, I have to go, but... Your planet needs uh, to. You don't have to go. In fact, you should stay because... There is a Torment Tides of Numenera interview, and it is coming up next. Good times. All right, I'm here with Brian Fargo and George Zeitz, and we are going to be talking about Torment Tides of Numenera, which is coming out at the end of February. Oh my God, it's almost here. It feels like we've been waiting for a long time, maybe... As long as, like, since 1999 for this game, it's pretty crazy. Uh, I just got a chance to play it, actually. Um, There were many tentacles everywhere, um, (laughs) monsters from another world. I talked a poor mercenary into walking into the Maw, Uh, uh, which didn't strike me as a very nice thing to do. Was that me being mean, or was that just, like, they were bad and it was okay? Uh, we don't
2: judge. We don't judge. (laughs) We don't judge. There, There was a way to avoid that.
0: Whoa, there was. I could have saved him. Yep, I could have saved toys. him. Yeah. I'm sure there was but multiple But that doesn't make you a bad person. No, no, no. it's okay. And so there were, like, multiple areas that I could have gone to. Is that, like, so there were, like, three different areas with maws, I assume, and I could have, like, done one of three different types of kind of puzzles.
3: You could have done, now
0: there's actually a, a, a bunch of different maws, and each of them is a
3: puzzle in and of itself. Gotcha. Uh, that particular maw you did have to solve in order to get through the, Critical path, mm. uh, but the uh, the way there were many different ways you could have done it. You actually could have saved that guy's <laughs> life. You actually could have even offered yourself to the maw if you had done the right. I thing totally
0: did. In lieu of yeah. him, I offered myself to the maw but it he was like just kind of licked me. I was like, no,
2: yeah, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> you had to do the right thing. Ahead
3: of not
0: tasty.
2: Movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you could if you tried hard.
0: Mm-hmm. by the way i just wanted to welcome you back to the podcast brian last time you were here you were playing wasteland we we're talking about wasteland 3 man you're a busy guy these days
2: i'm very busy but at least i'm sitting here saying i'm done with torment and we're not out it's now it's it's completed it's coming so that's nice
0: yeah so it's no nice thing. to have one under your
2: belt there uh you know every game is hard to finish
0: absolutely uh you know when it comes to torment uh Tides of Numenera, you know, a lot of people say Planescape Torment is the best RPG story ever. Yeah. It's a tough act to follow.
2: I know, we must be gluttons for punishment, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, not only that, but I find that with people with, with any number of the older games but this one especially, is that you are competing not with just the material, but their memory of the material, which can be quite different than the reality of it, so, uh, but yeah, but I, I, I felt that uh, we had a special opportunity because a lot of the people who had worked on the original Planescape Torment or had created Planescape itself were all around and all available, and it was a one-time shot to get the band together to do this.
0: Oh, what, do you, what did you guys feel like was most especially important to nail with this game, uh, to be able to get people who are, like, you know, of course, old Torment fans coming back in, but also new people as well? Right, right. I'll get
3: my, my opinion I'm sure Brian has his own, too. But, but for me, it's the weirdness of it. Um, the uh, Planescape Torment was just wonderfully strange. It was so inventive and bizarre, and every character that you would talk to would have a unique voice and its own their own very strange story. Uh, and being able to reproduce that was something that was very much foremost on my mind as we were working on this game.
2: Uh, for sure, the other worldliness, and I think the emphasis on the, on the written word, uh, there's only so much you can do visually. There's some things with words that can cre- that you you couldn't possibly create all the visuals in this game that we tell in text. And I think there are people that gravitate towards uh, that kind of style of of, of entertainment, and um, and also that combat isn't the the, the the major emphasis of the game. That, that and even in this game. Uh, there are combats, but there there are a lot. There's no trash mobs, and you can often talk your way out of it. And, and I think the uh, the emphasis of that in an RPG is also appeals to people.
0: You were talking about the otherworldliness being like a key ingredient. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that strikes me about Torment is that it is a uh, it's a setting reminiscent of DD, But it's obviously not that, and so it's kind of walking this fine line. Like, how hard is it? Walking that line and like kind of nailing it without you know infringing, obviously
3: on um, on the d and d
0: yeah.
3: Um, for I, I think in, in this particular game, I, I didn't feel too much tension on against d and d. We were basing the world off of Monty Cook's New Era, uh, which feels like a different sort of a thing. It's inspired more by like uh, Gene Wolfe's New Sun books. Um, it's that dying earth feel, mm-hmm. um, which is I don't think d d has ever done anything quite like that. Uh, so it, it, um, it, it was fairly easy to, to, to hit the
0: tone when it came to the
3: world. Perfect.
0: So, uh, talking really quickly a little bit about isometric RPGs, like as a genre, um, Wasteland, uh, Pillars of Eternity, uh, Torment Now, a little bit of a renaissance going on for that style. Um, nostalgia obviously plays a role, but, there also seems to be something about this particular style that really seems to speak to people. What are your thoughts on that? Mm. Uh,
2: well, I think that one of it is that that when you're going isometric, you you can often offer more choices because the the visual payoff necessary in first or third person can be tricky. Uh, these games are very deep because we put in a lot of things that you wouldn't see on a normal playthrough. And so we can do things rare, fairly inexpensively, but pay off 25 different uh, uh, sort of attacks at something. Whereas if you were in a first person, that would be a whole other order of business. So I think that the, the deep and nuanced cause and effect, I think, is a byproduct of being isometric that people really gravitate towards. And there's also, uh, from our good old Dungeons & Dragons days, of uh, looking at graph paper or miniatures, you're you're controlling often of a squad of people, and so there's a greater ability for tactics. So I think perhaps those might be two of the things, other than nostalgia. I don't know if you would add to that.
0: Uh, I mean, that's, I pretty much agree. Yeah, when I look at an isometric game, like my first thought is, or an isometric RPG in this style, my first thought is, well, this game's going to be really dense and interesting. So I'm definitely going to like this one.
2: Yeah well, this is dense. <laughs> interesting. We got, I think they'll be happy with this. It's but about, the, this is about as dense as they get.
0: But at the same time, it's a little intimidating too, right? Because people look at this kind of older style of graphics and go, Oh, that's going to be really dense and interesting. Right. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Too interesting. Too interesting for me. Yeah.
2: Uh, well, we, we do try to kind of lure you in slowly, uh, with, uh, with the intro. In fact, we, when we, um, when we first put it into early access, that was the biggest feedback was that it was just too much too soon. So we really simplified the beginning so we could sort digest the material a little bit slower and have it sort of open up. But the main thing is that is that when you start playing, yes, it's dense, but you don't have to do anything. I, mean, the, I think that's the mental thing we like to get people over, which is, yeah, there's 40 things that you can go do, but it's okay. You don't need to, to do them all. Just pick one or two and off you go. And the, and the critical path tends to reveal itself so you don't
0: have to worry about all those things. Uh, Planescape's, like, kind of main theme was questioning what can change, like, a person's nature. Oh, what is Torment's main theme? Uh,
3: it's, it's, it's legacy. Um, it's what does one life matter is a question that orients a lot of the content in the game. Uh, and what you'll find is that a lot of the quests and characters in the game are in some way wrestling with the question of legacy, uh, or answering the question, what does one life matter in their own way? Uh, that was something that, that we were not only just thinking about from the perspective of the main story, but also from a lot of the side stories that you'll encounter.
0: Uh, or how do the sub-characters kind of relate to that theme and the main character's development? There, uh, you mean how do the sub-characters relate like to... Like the, the characters that are kind of in your party, Like how are they oh. developed with that theme in mind? So, yeah, I mean, they, they all sort of
3: have their own take on the uh, on the theme. Um, I don't know how deeply we want to talk about individual well, characters.
0: Maybe uh, just give me a quick example.
3: Uh, sure. So, um, let's see. Uh, is she's the character visually. She's, she's quite interesting. She's the one who is, uh, uh, she's got like echoes of herself from other dimensions or other realities all around her at all times. Uh, and she, her, her story is she's trying to figure out uh, whether she should return to humanity and, and sort of become a, a normal person again. Uh, or whether she should ascend into the data sphere, into the other dimensions. Uh, and she is sort of, and it, and it is for her, something of a question of legacy and in what she can accomplish as this being with uh, who's often in the, in the multiverse and uh, she ascends to this greater level, almost becomes a goddess. She feels like she can accomplish a lot more and know a lot more, or if she should come back to the world and, uh, and pull back from that craziness. And, and that sort of question of what she can achieve is something that you'll wrestle with.
0: She should totally ascend into the data sphere. I, I think she should too. And speaking, true. like, normality is totally overrated. I would ascend into the data sphere if I could right now. That'd Man, be okay. great.
3: I, I think a lot
2: of us probably would, yeah. Yeah. especially this last Yeah, was exactly. <laughs> a, a good, yeah. Good plan.
0: <laughs> Just upload my consciousness into the internet. Free-floating Catherine.
2: Yeah, right. Who's who's to say you haven't already done so?
0: so. Oh Oh, man, it's true that I'm a disembodied voice spread across the world as we speak. (sighs) That was the sound of my mind exploding by (laughs) the way, because we don't have video on this audio podcast. Um, So, Planescape, kind of the resurrection of the nameless one results in the death of someone else. But in Torment, resurrection grants life. Like, because you have the chosen, or the the God, who is like moving along and kind of leaving these husks, mm-hmm. and that husk becomes a new person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found that dichotomy really interesting.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, I find it interesting too. That was actually a that was in, that was invented by Colin, our, our lead writer. Um, I, I don't know if he was intentionally echoing that, but it, it does sort of it is sort of an interesting
0: uh, reversal. Oh, why so? Colin, like, was the one who invented it, but do you have any insight into why you decided to take the approach of life versus death? Um,
3: I don't. I mean, I do know that we, we initially were thinking about the game as, uh, as a life cycle. Um, so, like, if you look at the first part of the game, um, in the city of Saga's Cliffs, we intentionally went with sort of brighter environments, um, A lot of the characters are a little bit, it's a little lighter overall. It's not quite as dark as it gets in the area that you played. You saw a pretty dark part of the game, Mm the blue. And as you move forward, like the environments get a little bit darker, the subject matter gets a little bit darker, and you kind of get that sense of a life cycle moving across the course of the game until the very end. Um, So that could have been part of what he was Mm -hmm. trying to echo.
0: Yeah, that is pretty interesting. Um, So obviously, Torment is a very story driven. RPG like there's this kind of a sliding scale for RPGs where some focus really heavily on combat, mm-hmm. almost to the exclusion of any story whatsoever. Your your classical first-person dungeon crawlers like wizardry and, exactly. and that kind of thing. Um, why why have you guys like why does Torment go so far to the other side where it's just like story is our thing, story is what we do. This is the core of the entire game, and combat is just one smaller element as opposed to, like, a much more important aspect of it?
3: Um, well, I mean, I think the, the biggest thing is we're essentially trying to, to follow the example of, of the content that came before of the play, of Planescape Torment. Brian, you might be able to speak better to what, what happened, like why Planescape Tournament went that way, but we very much wanted to be true to our backers and the mm-hmm. kind of experience that they were expecting of the spiritual successor to Planescape Tournament,
2: uh, which is why we went that way. I mean, that's most certainly why this went that way. I, mean, I think that that's one of the things I like about role-playing games is they come in all these different shapes and sizes, and that people who don't really understand the genre see it as one big thing, right? But if you understand it, there is the nuances of it all, right? And so you, you, you give a perfect example with the dungeon crawl, which the combat is everything. And, it, and having now working on Bard Tale 4, it, yeah, it's on the other side of the scale of where Torment is, which is combat is a very large part of the combat and exploration that is kind of the core look and it's not that there'll be no story but 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 where it tormented on the other side and i think that the doing a spiritual successor it, it dictated that we follow that path because that's what people that's what they would have wanted to see if we do that and plus these guys are all wonderful writers so it's great to
0: turn loose uh and i suppose by not focusing as much on combat it gives you a lot more space to uh figure out how to deal with the consequences of your actions and like all of the different things because my understanding is that Planescape goes really deep down that rabbit hole.
3: Yeah I would say that's true. Um, combat in in the original Planescape was probably not the absolute best feature of that game. and uh, We really wanted to take it down a much more interesting and rich kind of direction. Uh, we wanted to Make to insert the sort of storytelling and the dialogue and the choices and consequences into the combat experience. Um, And so now we have the crisis system, which you saw some of, uh, where that is like you can talk to people in combat, you can convince them not to attack you, or you can interact with objects, which is something that you really don't
2: see in a lot of uh, RPGs. Yeah, I I think it's one of the most interesting, innovative things that we do in the game. You know, and for people that we've been doing role playing games our whole life, we try to think about ways we can push it as an art form. And, and different things we can experiment with. And I think for, uh, this Torment game, I think that's where we really pushed it somewhere where people really haven't done a lot with in terms of, okay, I mean, com- cause most combat either, you can't, you either, <laughs> you either kill them or they kill you, maybe you can run away. Uh, and those are tended to be your only three choices where this goes down a whole different path about talking your way out of it or, Killing one person and affecting the change of what you know what the other people do. We just we just made it just the, the, those micro sections
0: deeper. I've, you've heard many RPGs promise that there will be consequences to your actions and that like one action will like send like cause like multiple other things to happen. Right. But so often it ends up being kind of disappointing because I mean there's a finite amount of time to make a game and at some point you got to wrap it up and. People come out going, "Well, oh, that didn't really impact my decisions." Uh, okay, how, how does Torment avoid falling into that kind of uh, trap? Three
3: and a half years.
0: <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, so that, that really is. I mean, if you saw, I wish we could show you some of the dialogue that, that we wrote um, and the, the way they branch. It's, it's really incredible. One of the unfortunate things that I I can't certainly can't speak for every RPG, but um, one of the unfortunate things for a lot of RPGs is people do mm-hmm. come out of them sometimes saying oh man, it didn't really feel like my choices really made that much of a difference. But what they don't realize is that they actually did, it's just that they only played through it once, so they don't realize that it could have gone off in a lot of other different directions. I think sometimes as designers, we don't necessarily showcase enough that, hey, look, your choice did this, and if you had done this other thing, it would have turned out very different. Um, we've tried to do that a little bit more in Torment, uh, but even so, there are probably things in Torment where if you didn't play through it multiple times, you wouldn't realize that there was all this reactivity. Uh, that you could sometimes play through things three, four, or five times and have a different experience each time.
0: Um, talking a little bit about Torment, I played Torment on a console. Mm-hmm. Uh, that You know, like back in 1999, I would not really have been able to imagine playing a game like this on a console. Um, kind of tells you how consoles and PCs are closer than ever. Like, What, what were some of the challenges for you guys in translating this in a, in a, in a usable way to the PS4 and the Xbox One?
2: I think the first part you hit on the, uh, on the nose, which is that is the, the hardware are comparable now between PC. And, and in fact, a, a lot of the people who love Inkscape Torment are really happy that we're on console because they've not always kept their PCs up to speed mm-hmm. in terms of from a hardware specs perspective. So it offers something for them, you know, you can plug it in and go. Um, we had already had a positive experience with Wasteland 2 on console in terms of both its reception and, 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 and the... Ability to do the work, so we already kind of knew what we were doing there. So it really was a function of getting the real interface down. And 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 the other thing is we you know there could be no compromise to the PC whatsoever, zero period end of story. And the PC we didn't even think about console much later on, so we had to not change a darn thing and have them have completely different interfaces. Um, and you know find out that actually some Steam owners say, hey, we like. Prefer playing with the controller, so great. We support it on PC if you want. And then that and the font size is the big thing, right? You are, you are, instead of 12 inches, you're six feet away, so you got to support it that way. Um, but, you know, based upon today, we got pretty good reception, great reception from uh, people who are not PC-based, and just pure console uh, press that was sitting back on the couch going, guess what? I could see myself sitting here for hours at a time doing it. So, so uh, I think uh, mission accomplished there.
0: Yeah, I think that it's important that it's on console just in the sense of it It opens up uh, kind of the ability for so many people to actually be able to play this game who otherwise would not be able to. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the fact that it would be on, say, the PS4 or the Xbox One just brings in a lot of people and, like, a whole different audience. And actually, come to think of that, that might be a little challenging for you, too, because, I mean, there's... A Hardcore PC RPG audience, and then there's console RPG on, experience right. audience, and they might be like experience, looking for something totally different, right? right? Well, you
2: know, sometimes you just got to make the game that you want to make and let mm-hmm. the chips fall where they may. And so, and and, and Torment's too good not to share with more people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so as split offs of black isle in exile and obsidian both re- revived a few classic franchises in new forms um, and i know that you're working on bard's tale at the moment if uh, i'm not mistaken um, is there another rpg that you'd like to revive or are you kind of looking to make something new going forward mm, i don't have one in
2: particular that i i mean I'm, I'm really happy with the franchises that we have and i definitely want to do some original stuff also uh, i the the Act of crowdfunding, part of it, there's a nostalgic part that helps you, uh, finance, right? Which, which is that, you know, it, it, it's, it's hard to do it unless there is an unless there's an established well-based of people who are really into something. But as our stature has grown, I think we will have a greater ability to say just the fact that we're doing it, you know, that we become the thing, not just the brand itself. And so that'll open up our abilities to, uh, experiment more.
0: Last question. You've kind of turned Planescape into, not Planescape, sorry. Mm-hmm. You kind of made Wasteland into, I don't know, mini franchise because you've got Wasteland 3 yeah, now. Okay. Um, do, do you see something similar happening to plane, uh, Torment Tides of Numenera or is this kind of a standalone?
2: For now, it's a standalone. It's a, there, there's, there's no intention or conversation of talking about rolling on to something else. Uh, these products just feel different like, you know, mm-hmm. in, 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 in that way. So, it's not to say we would never revisit it, but uh, we, we're just not thinking about it now.
0: Great. So, Torment Tides of Numenera is coming out February 28th on the Xbox One, PS4, and PC. Uh, any looks, looking at the Switch at all? Any interest?
2: The, what, the, what do you mean? The Nintendo Switch? Oh, no. <laughs> not not, not Whoa! <laughs> not, not Whoa, just
0: dropping bombs that's right good. here.
2: Nope, no Nintendo Switch here. I, I like Nintendo, but that's not going to happen on that machine. Plus, so, yeah, so that's not I mean, it, it, uh, can you imagine a Nintendo game with a million words? Uh, that was a, a complete mismatch. <laughs> All right,
0: then. And on that note, we are wrapping up. Thank you, guys. Have a good day. All right, that's the end of our episode. You can find Axe of the Blood God on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio wherever podcasts are sold it is a U.S. Gamer podcast of course follow us on all of the social media channels it's <laughs> U.S. Gamer Net um, sorry my Final Fantasy 4 wa- playthrough has been on hold for a little bit because I've been very very busy apologize go very busy girl I'm going to pick it up next week perhaps um, yeah, uh, follow me on Twitter, the underscore CatBot, Nadia at Nadia Oxford. Please leave us a review on iTunes. I've noticed that people have been, uh, there have been more reviews lately. I really appreciate it. It's very nice of you. Like, very nice reviews. I'm glad that you're enjoying the show. Uh, the Blood God is pleased. Very. Very pleased. Very um pleased. Of course, check out Nadia on Tiny Girl, Tiny Games, and check out all of the interesting coverage that is going on uh jeremy just wrapped up his design and action uh series on symphony of the night and next month he's going to be doing uh last guardian mm-hmm. we also have a bunch of resident evil 7 coverage we do and uh if you haven't check out my monday column starting screen in which i i talk about a bit about what's going on in the games industry and also um you know kind of round up the news and talk about the stuff that i kind of find interesting um check that out as well. But in any case, um thanks for dropping by everybody as always. Um it's been fun talking RPGs. <laughs> whenever even whenever I'm is. like, "Oh, I I'm, I'm going to do a short episode today." It ends up not being a short episode. <laughs> All right. So, uh yeah, no, let me know if I should play Chrono Trigger or Persona 3 Portable or Dragon Quest 8 or something else. Like maybe I'm missing out on something. Maybe I should play Earthbound instead uh so send me a line in that regard in any case thanks for dropping by as always and until next time i've been Cap Alien for nadia oxford and myself we'll see you again next week until then happy adventuring